Hey guys, welcome back to a very special episode of Unpopular because I have Heidi fucking Montag on the pod today. I mean, the legend herself. This is a lifelong dream fulfilled. I've been trying to make this happen since I was fucking out of the womb, basically. Uh, But you know what? I think that Lauren Conrad may have cursed the interview because we had all these Wi-Fi problems at the start, then Chunky started barking, then Heidi had to get Gunner to bed. Like, there was a lot going on, but don't worry. We still had a great interview and Heidi shared a lot. She's so sweet. We got to the bottom of her meat diet and her music career and her plastic surgery, all of it. Uh, I had a lot of nice messages from people on Instagram about it when I said that I was having Heidi on. There were a couple of haters like, ah, why do you like these two? It's like, how do you not like Heidi and Spencer? I mean, have you ever listen to them. They're really nice. I don't know. I don't know why people hate them. Like what have they actually done besides storylines on the hills? They had you know, they haven't really done anything bad. Uh you know, I've been telling Heidi and Spencer to take their new Pratt Daddy spin-off that they're shopping around to the Zeus network. You know, <laughs> Zeus has like Black China, Natalie Nunn, um, from the Bad Girls Club, Jocelyn's Cabaret, which is crazy. I know those shows are like outside of the hills demo, but I feel like Zeus might want to expand and they could get a new audience with with uh Spidey on board, but you know, maybe they're a little they might be a little too hardcore for for Spidey now that I think about it. Cause if you guys watched Jocelyn's Cabaret, that's next level. Go on YouTube after this podcast, of course, not right this second, but after this podcast, go on YouTube and type in Jocelyn's Cabaret and see some of the stuff that goes down on that show. All right, uh, let's do some quick hot topics before I bring Queen Heidi herself out. So I'm watching The Housewives of New Jersey. It's a great season. Uh, I've said that many times. I've talked about Jersey a bit, probably more on the Patreon, but it's so good. You know, Karma Train has come for Jen and Teresa is Teresa is in the hot seat, as she deserves to be, because she's terrible. And Dolores is actually being a little more objective than usual, because usually she's just, like, blind loyalty to whoever her alliance partner is, which is basically Teresa all the time. But she's actually kind of, like, calling things down the middle a bit more. So I just think everyone is in their groove, and I just love it. Well, Teresa is dating this guy, Louie. He's so Botoxed and red and just crazy looking. And the big storyline around him is that he went to this like alpha male wellness camp a few years ago. And this really bizarre video surfaced of him shirtless with a bunch of other men screaming into the camera. If you are a Bravo fan, you would have seen this video. So I don't really need to describe it to you. Well, Margaret, who I'm actually totally in love with now, I just think she's the best thing ever. It's so funny how you can go from really just hating someone to being such a fan of them. Like, I was such a Margaret hater. I wanted her off the show. Now I just I just watch it. I'm, like, living for everything she does. I'm just like, yes, Margaret. Like, I think she's incredible. Uh, well, she has been looking into this camp that Louis went to, this alpha male camp, and she did a bit of a deep dive on it, and it just seems really weird and misogynistic. She's talked about it on the show, and she's talked about it in different interviews that she's done. I haven't done a deep dive myself, but I do believe Margaret because there are a lot of these like really toxic alpha male self-help like pockets around the internet, whether they're like online programs or podcasts or wellness camps. Like it's a lot of stuff out there. It's just like all those stupid, toxic, woke feminists. There is like a male equivalent to that. And 
it's not good. And Louis also has some physical abuse allegations out there, which they could be false. People do make these things up. But, you know, he has a lot of red flags. It's not really just one thing. It's like things keep popping up continuously. So I think that he's totally shady and that he's been love bombing Teresa. I actually called it out on the Ultimate Girls Trip because Teresa said that Louis had like written her a love letter for every single day that she was away doing the Ultimate Girls Trip. And I think they showed I think they showed it at one point. She was sitting in bed reading the letter out, and I just thought, oh, he's a love bomber. By the way, I don't actually have anything against love bombing. I'm just repeating the phrase, the term love bomb, because I see it all over, like, millennial Facebook wine mums using it, and all the true crime Karens talk about love bombing, love bombing, uh... If I'm being honest, I'm probably a love bomber too. I'm very romantic. You know, I have a lot of feelings. I like to express them. And I would like to be love bombed too, but in a positive way. As for Louis, he's a shady love bomber, clearly. Uh, I don't trust him. He's love bombing with ulterior motives. And last week, he took Teresa on this boat and there were rose petals everywhere. I think Kenny G was playing a saxophone. And he unveiled this huge scroll that just listed everything that he loved about her, including her voice, which... Obviously, she has a horrible voice, but I kind of, and I think he's lying, but I kind of thought it was cute because, you know, she's being loved for the worst, for her worst quality. So that was kind of cute. But guess who else has done a love scroll before? A gigantic love scroll. The founder of the fucking alpha male warrior program that Louis was in, this weird misogynistic alpha male camp. He also gave his wife a scroll. I saw it on TikTok. The user Pop Culture with Balls shared a video of it. Uh, And we already know that this camp is a little weird. Now we see that the men here are using the same gigantic love scroll with affirmations written on them. Um, And, you know, Louis also, when he speaks, he speaks in this, like, full-blown self-help guru speak. Like, imagine you read one Tony Robbins book and then you thought you were Gandhi and were walking around giving everyone advice. Like, that's how he talks. Um... I'm very suspicious of him. Uh, I think he's preying on Teresa, but, you know, Teresa's such an idiot because her own daughters last week were telling her that they were concerned about her and Teresa's like, your mummy's smart. I wouldn't be with someone that wasn't a great guy. And I'm thinking, um, your last husband, Juicy Joe, cheated on you. He called you a cunt on camera to his mistress, which the Mike's got in a behind-the-scenes scene and they played it on the show and at the reunion. And he sent you to jail, and then you still stood by him. So I don't know if you're really the best judge of character when it comes to men, Teresa. Also, Ebony was on Watch What Happens Live, and it was painful, honestly. (laughs) It was so painful. I feel kind of bad for her because it's like she just doesn't know how to act natural, and I don't think she can change it. It's truly who she is. I really think with her, like, upbringing and her past in beauty pageants, I believe that she was a, you know, a Miss something or other, and then doing law and going into TV, I think she's just been you know, engineered this way. And it's difficult to watch. Uh, I felt drained watching her. And I think I have like PTSD from her season of Roni because now every time she opens her mouth, you just feel like she's lecturing you. Even if she's not, you just feel that the lecturing energy from her. I don't think Andy likes her either. Honestly, Andy gave off shady vibes. Um, And she was actually trying to loosen up and be fun now because I think she got the memo from the viewers that she was too serious. So now she's like trying to be fun, but like it just looks, it looks like an uptight person trying to be fun. It doesn't look like someone just letting go and being like a naturally fun person. Uh, 
She's beautiful, though. I will give her that. She's gorgeous, and I do wish her the best. I really think she just needs to move into the education sector where she can, you know, hear herself talk for hours on end, educate students on whatever the topic is, and, you know, call it a day. Uh, People think that she's coming back to Roni because she was on Watch What Happens Live. I do not think so. I think she was on there. Well, she was on there to promote her new. She's on like a celebrity survivor show. Okay. It looks pretty bad. Colton Underwood's on it and other people that I don't know. Um, and it's on CBS. So I feel like, well, if Bravo are letting her come on, if they let her do another show in the first place and they're letting her come on, watch what happens live to promote it, I feel like that's them throwing her a bone. Cause it's like, yeah, we're not going to renew your contract, but we want this to go as smooth as possible because, you know, Ebony does like to run to the HR department. So let's just let her promote her show and keep a good relationship with her. She does really want to be back on the show though, because she always hints at it in interviews and she's even out here advocating for Ramona, which is very funny because before she put in a a complaint that uh, Ramona made racist comments and she had HR investigated. And then the entire reunion was called off. It was the first time in history that the housewives haven't done a reunion because Ebony put in this complaint. In her defense, maybe she didn't know it was going to go this far, but she did. So I don't know how you go from putting in a racist complaint about someone to now going on a press tour saying, I'm really fun. I'm going to have fun this year. And I think Ramona should stay on the show. It's like, okay, so one minute she needs to be investigated and disciplined for being racist. And now you still want her on the show. Uh, It's giving desperate and floundering to me. Like, I think she's just out here going, I'm fun. Ramona should come. Like, just saying anything that she can to, like, stay on this show. And I just don't think it's going to happen. My prediction is actually that Ramona and Leah will return. That may be wishful thinking on my part because they're kind of, like, my two faves. Um, But I don't know. I think they will be. Although Bravo's casting often makes no sense. So, to even try and analyze it logically, it's probably a waste of time because... Sometimes you'll have someone on these shows that is, like, really such a great fit and they're killing it and then Bravo just goes and fires them. So, we will see. Luann actually just got filmed drunk at some gay bar, just sloppy as hell on the stage, uh, you know, basically making a fool of herself. It's gone viral. It's got a lot of media coverage. And at first I was like, okay, so Luann secured herself another season. And now I think, you know what, maybe she hasn't secured herself another season with this because how many times can we watch Luann do the cabaret, which, look, I'm not complaining. I enjoy Luann's repetitive storylines because I just think she's really fun to watch. But how many times can we watch the cabaret and how many times can we watch her dealing with her sobriety and falling off the wagon and getting back up? Like, at this point, it would just be, wow, is this like our sixth season in a row with this storyline? And we also know that Luann was never sober. I mean, if you think Luann was sober on this show, I... Sorry to break it to you, but you're very gullible. She pretends to be sober on the show and then the camera goes down and she parties like it's no tomorrow. So, I don't know if there's any gas left in that tank. Uh, I feel like Sonia, Ramona and Leah are going to come back. Ebony and Luann will go. And I think that with Dorinda, because a lot of people are like, well, is Dorinda coming back? Uh, You know... Bravo likes to move forward. I don't think Bravo likes to bring back people. They only do it when they really need to. Like with Heather, it was like, wow, OC really needs something. And then Atlanta with Sheree. But there's a lot of former housewives, big housewives, 
that have never returned to their shows. And Dorinda, I think, has only been off for one season. So, you know, she's also doing the ultimate girls trip. So I kind of feel like, well, if they think, considering you for Roni, would they really have you on the ultimate girls trip? So I feel like if they're really desperate with the casting, like they really need like another big name and they've got to get rid of, you know, Luann or something, they may bring back Dorinda, but I don't think a Dorinda comeback is a given. I do think she'll be back on the show at some stage. I just, they might just leave it a bit longer because I think they like to give you like a few years off of a person before they bring them back. Um, The last thing I want to talk about is this transgender college swimmer, Leah Thomas. Are you guys following this story? I'm sure you are because it's, I mean, it's literally all over the media and social media. So, Leah is 22. She swam on the men's college swimming team from like 2018 to 2020. Then she started transitioning. I think she was 19 when she started transitioning. So, she's 22 now. And then last year, she started competing as a woman and of course she just started instantly winning races and like setting records while competing against women uh you know people are criticizing her because it's like what you've been a woman for three seconds and now you're competing um in sport against you know biological women uh people are criticizing her she doesn't seem to care i mean i saw some interviews and some quotes from her and she was like, you know, I ignore the criticism and I'm just doing this for other trans athletes and for inclusivity, you know, whatever. They all say the same thing. So she gave that kind of spiel. Caitlyn Jenner has spoken out against her. So has tennis legend Martina, better known by me as Julia's wife from the Real Housewives of Miami. She came out. Um, I was Googling this a bit to do some research before I discussed it. So I was like, oh, this is a bit of a bit of a hot button issue I should really you know be well read and well prepared on this and then I you know a bunch of like nuanced think pieces came up and I'm just like you know what why this there's nothing to tiptoe around like it's not that complicated okay we don't need a think piece you were born a man you've been a woman for two seconds you have an unfair advantage the whole thing's ridiculous case closed like what are we fucking talking about like that's it. There's nothing more to discuss. Like, there's a there's this fucking viral photo of Leah against the two runner-ups, and she's twice the size of them. Uh, in her defense, like, she is on a higher podium because she, she came first, so she has some height on them due to the podium, but, like, just her shoulders, just everything. She's much bigger than these other women, and, you know, a lot of trans activists now are coming out and they're speaking up and they're trying to gaslight us all into accepting this as normal and nothing to see here. You're transphobic if you think, if you have an issue with this, and it's like, come on, guys. Like, Ashley Marie Preston... Do you guys know Ashley Marie Preston? The worst the worst person in the universe. Well, she's up there. Maybe not the worst, but she's definitely <laughs> she's in the top ten. Uh she's a former drug addict and a racist nut job, and now she's a trans activist and she was an Elizabeth Warren surrogate. She famously kind of came after Bernie Sanders and was tr- I think she was trying to say Bernie Sanders was like transphobic or racist, and then people dug up her tweets and she had all these tweets like bashing Asians and and just crazy stuff. Uh, and that always happens with these fucking people. Well, 
she came out with this completely insane take on this. I can't even read it out to you because it literally makes no sense and it just goes on and on. Go on her Instagram account and you can see it, Ashley Marie Preston. And she's talking about sex trafficking and the patriarchy and rape culture and racism. And it's like, that's what they do. Because it's like, they know that it makes no sense to just address what the actual issue is. So they try to like hit you with like this fucking fake science and gaslight you and they make it about some other issue and they try to exhaust you and you're a transphobe and the whole thing and it's like look you can probably make a scientific argument when it comes to trans people who transitioned as children pre-puberty now i don't think that children should be medically transitioning socially transitioning i think is fine if a boy wants to wear a dress i wanted to wear dresses and actually wasn't allowed but i wanted to wear dresses and play with barbies and stuff as a kid i think kids can do whatever the hell you know all that stuff is fine. You know, we shouldn't be confined to the gender roles. If, you know, girls want to play with trucks and wear pants, let let them get it out of their system and do what they want. Uh, but I don't support medically transitioning. But some kids that do medically transition, you know, they probably have – it's probably the same sort of thing if they haven't hit puberty. You could probably argue for that. But I think that in Leah Thomas's case – transitioning like fucking at 19 two years ago and then jumping straight into women's sports. Like, we know this is absurd, okay? (laughs) Like, we know this is a man racing against women for, you know, in terms of whatever, biologically a man at this point with the sporting – you know what I'm trying to say, guys. I'm not saying she's a woman. We recognize her as a woman, as a transgender woman. But when we're talking in a sporting situation, in her particular case, you are a man. Um, The fact that this is even a conversation is, like, just so stupid because, like, we we all know that it's unfair. Like, we all know this. Like, nobody can say with a straight face in good faith that there's, like, no biological advantage in the case of, you know, Leah – uh, Leah Thomas, all right? Blair White actually had a good tweet. She said, uh, do not underestimate the amount of justified contempt this cr- creates for the trans movement. I'm trans and this pisses me off. I can only imagine how the rest of the world feels. You know, I'm not trying to concern troll here, but that is really true that, like, there's, there's got to be so many regular trans people out here in the world just or gender non-conforming, whatever they are, Zs and Zers and theys and thems, and they're just trying to, like, live their fucking life and do their thing. And then you have these, like, few, like, minority of whack jobs, like Leah Thomas and some of these other trans activists, Ashley Marie Preston, just a bunch of whack jobs, and they go viral all the time, and they make trans people look like they're all fucking Looney Tune nutters when they're really not. Like, And then you have all these people in real life that have never met a trans person, so they, you know, have never been around it. Because, like, trans people are a minority. You know, you would think with the how much the media covers them and stuff that, like, every second person is trans, but it's really, like, a very small percentage of people. So a lot of people have never had any interaction with a trans person, so they don't have a positive interaction they can take away. All they've got is, like, Leah Thomas uh, stealing trophies from female college students. Uh, And then I think that does breed a lot of transphobia, And then that ends up impacting, like, a bunch of trans people that just, you know, across the board that don't deserve it at all and probably don't even agree with what Leah Thomas and certain other people are doing. I don't even get why this is a whole thing because, again, like, transgender people, very small amount of people are actually trans and then the amount of those people that are, like, athletes and wanting to compete in sports, that must be even smaller. So, 
you know, why are we, like, changing obvious sporting rules to accommodate, like, three people? It's just such a joke. Um, And I was thinking about Leah Thomas specifically, and, like, you have to be such an attention whore to really do what she's doing right now. Like, it is a very real thing that athletes, they do have huge egos, a lot of them. They do have, a you know, a need for validation. They're very competitive. They want to win at everything. Uh, that's just how they're, you know, born and bred. They have that in them naturally, and then it's fostered in them by coaches and parents and stuff. And so it's like what Leah's doing, it just feels like a very narcissistic athletic publicity stunt. I'm sure there's some pop psychology take on this. I'm sure... Red Scare have a have an episode coming out about this if they haven't dropped it already. I haven't checked my Patreon feed. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know. How can Leah feel comfortable inserting, like how can anyone feel comfortable inserting themselves into a woman's space in the way that Leah has and winning first place and having this criticism, just like not caring. It's very weird. Uh, I would love to have a psychiatrist analyze Leah because it's just not normal. It feels misogynistic. Uh, And, you know, I feel bad for women because it's like for years they had to deal with gay men telling them that like, you know, honey, your hair looks shit. Yeah, bad style. That dress does not look good, honey. Fix your makeup. Like, they had to, like, grin and bear that for years amongst <laughs> gay men. They, You know, because gay men can get away with anything and they had to act like it was fine being insulted by a man under those circumstances. And just as that sort of started to fade away, now it's the whole trans women thing to deal with. So, you know, the ladies have it tough in that regard. <laughs> um, and, you know, look... Obviously, do I have to add this in? I'm obviously not talking about all trans women as psychos. I'm saying this tiny subset of attention-seeking nutters like Leah Thomas. Everyone else is cool, should be treated with respect. And, you know, it's just a shame that the Leah Thomases of the world are making it, you know, harder for the the normie trans people out there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds do we think that how long do we think it'll be till leah thomas is on a time magazine cover and getting woman of the year accolades i mean do we think that's around the corner we'll see (laughs) would not surprise me woman of the year uh anyway i'm gonna bring heidi out uh by the way i just dropped a house tour video on patreon uh so if you're a patreon subscriber you can see me tour my my new house because obviously I've shared with you guys like my whole journey of leaving Sydney when I started the podcast I was in Sydney then I moved back home and I shared a lot of my difficulties uh you know living with my mom and dealing with that and that kind of drama and now I have my own place and I'm about to renovate it so I'm doing a little you know I'm just sharing my renovations and life stuff on Patreon I only posted it last night and I had so many comments I've never had that many comments and messages from anybody on Patreon I underestimate how much uh women love a love a reno <laughs> is that sexist they do they love renovations um and I've already got some great tips and ideas and uh from pe- people are being oh you should do this you should do that and I'm totally taken on board I love it uh it's very very helpful um, Um, I did meet with the interior designer since filming that video and she was really cheap, by the way, like I only paid a couple hundred bucks and she totally got right everything that I wanted. Uh, because I didn't really know how, I didn't know anything about design. Like I didn't know you could paint a brick. I'm not sure. Like, it sounds like I'm joking. I honestly didn't know you could paint a brick. I think it was the Dames Who Dish podcast for like, um, yeah, you can paint a brick. So I didn't know anything. Like wasn't really sure how to kind of verbalize 
what I wanted, but I tried my best and she was sort of able to decipher that and execute it and like work in my budget. And then she gave me all these extra advice I didn't even pay for. So shout out to Re at Mystery Designs in Aubrey. Um, and yeah, so if you want to see my little house tour, get extra content and support me and the show, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash unpopularjp. Make sure you're following me on social media at unpopularjp on Twitter and Instagram. As usual, links for everything are in the show notes. And please enjoy Heidi Montag. Bye, guys. All right, guys, I literally have a dream guest on the pod. She's probably like my Marilyn Monroe. Like, I have wanted to interview her for so long. I mean, like, she's a pop culture icon. She really changed reality TV, honestly. Um, Low-key, a pop music legend. I mean, her album is one of my all-time faves. Please welcome Heidi Montag. Hello. Thank you for such a great intro and for having me on. Oh my God. I literally, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I've wanted to do this for so long because I used to have a music blog way back in the day. And it was sort of when you first started doing your whole music thing. And I didn't even watch The Hills, but I just loved your music. And then I became a fan of you. And I was like going so hard for your music when there were a lot of haters. And I feel like I actually created a lot of Heidi Montag, like, superficial fans because i was like guys this this album is legit like she's got like the best producers it's amazing so i don't know i'm just like so excited thank you that was my dream scenario so i appreciate all the support and i was hoping to transition from reality tv into the music industry because the music was so good and the the hate was just so hard to cut through and at that time um mtv just wouldn't get behind it and pair up with a record label and the record label's like we'll go all in like a lady gaga or someone else but we need mtv to at least partner up with us and they were like no absolutely we won't do it so Oh, the so music you- was so good, but I was I was so close, but so far. So you had like you had the label support behind the scenes. Oh yeah, they were all in. They were like, we thought doing this, you'd be performing at the VMAs, and like MTV would step up, like they did f- with us with Ashley Simpson or somebody else. Um, and they were like, even if they won't follow it on TV, which they should, and now with Housewives and stuff, they do. Uh, they were like, you should be pushed on a bigger level with them and they should entertain you as a a singer and help you to transition into that. And they thought it would benefit them because they're selling the Hills catalog and they're selling merch and they're selling DVDs. And uh, they just didn't want me to, uh, you know, overshadow the show at all. Well, that's kind of how Ashley Simpson got famous because they were like, we're going to make a reality show around your music. And then I think at that time, she had like the highest first week sales of like a debut artist ever. And that was because of her reality TV show, which I think was on MTV. It was. It was so good. And that was around the time The Hills was on. I mean, The Hills was like a year or two after that. So I think that was the expectation. Hello. I want your fitness. 
Okay, and you could ask Danny too, because buddy, I'm working. Okay. Well, well you, well you, you. Okay, here, just take it with you right now, buddy. Okay, so I'm, I'm recording. Did you say hello? Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> it's I know so this cute. Podcasts will go like this. It's like Spencer <laughs> can hide out, but I sure can't. <laughs> <laughs> what um? What's your favorite song that you have recorded? Wait, let me tell you mine first. Okay, mine are Overdosing, love it. Still listen to it all the time. Fanatic, which I feel like is underrated. I love Fanatic, and the other one's probably Your Love Found Me because like it's just so cute and it has the scar sound. So those are my faves. I think that um, Your Love Found Me was also Prez Hilton's favorite because he was like, it's very Gwen uh, Stefani. And, you know, he loved that too. I remember that stuck out in my head. I don't know. I love Superficial, which I actually kind of fought Spencer to do. Like we had it written for me and it was so good. And I was like, I don't know. Like I love the song. And at the same time, I don't know how – well received it's gonna be basically and spencer's like if you're not doing it i'm doing it and it was written for me for otasio and then i was like uh, no i'm i'm totally doing this i do love this song and i'm just gonna uh spend the money on it i love i'll do it that's one of my favorites i love that's um, the that's the fan favorite i yeah. think i'll do it is it really the fan fave that i see you know what i so when i used to listen to i'll do it i just thought oh this is heidi like doing a fantasy she's not really like this and then i heard you on call her daddy after a few champagnes talking about your sex life with spencer and i was like oh my god like i'll do it was that's Heidi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how I got Spencer. Uh, you know, I always have had a very uh, sexual side. Uh, you know, it's just more in the club or at home, but definitely if you see my dancing. Yeah, I, th- I, I definitely have a, a very sexual side. Is that the secret, one of the secrets to your marriage with Spencer? A hundred percent. I think that sex is so important in a marriage, you know, and sometimes it's more important for one person than the other. And I think that it's important to take care of everything mentally, spiritually, emotionally. You have to be on the same page and to make sure you're giving that affection and that love and, you know, sex is important. <laughs> well, you guys have, you kind of have like the best, it's like, that's like the running joke is that like Spidey have like the best marriage in Hollywood. <laughs> you know? Isn't that so funny? Everyone was like, they're a fake couple and this and that. And we're like, we're like the oldest couple in Hollywood and we're such a team. And that's been such a blessing is like, I think when everyone came at us so much, we were together and it really united us. And for a lot of people it would tear them apart or they wouldn't be strong enough to have that image or they would care. But like Spencer and I, we, neither of us have ever cared to that extent. You know, we're like, ah, oh, some things, you know, might bother you more or less. But at the end of the day, neither of us care what anyone says. And so I think that's been one of our strengths about being together is we're like, whatever, everyone. (laughs) If you like us, great. And if not, no problem. Keep it moving. (laughs) What happened with you and Lady Gaga's producer, Red One? Because I remember like at one point there were stories that he was going to produce your album and then you did a song together, Fashion, and then your version of Fashion leaked online first and then randomly like Lady Gaga put her version out on like a soundtrack for something. Like what happened with you and Red One? So you should Google the quote of Red One with Us Weekly, how he put out that I'm going to be the biggest singer and that he thinks I'm like the biggest star he's ever worked with. And he had this huge thing and him and I were going to pair up and we were going to do what him and Lady Gaga ended up doing, which is writing every song together and producing. And then he was like, I just need to get the um, consent of the writer. 
And so I just thought Lady Gaga was a writer. And so she was a writer on the song and fashion. He's like, hey, I'm going to cut fashion with Heidi. I have her in the studio. She loves it. And she's like, great, sure, she can have that song. And uh, so then I recorded it and it was my song. That's the impression that I was under. So I put it, I, I was on The View and I had Heidi Wood doing a fashion show on it. And it was so big and it got big traction. And then Confessions of a Shopaholic wanted to put it in their movie. And she's like, no, I'm pulling that song and I'm recording it. It's not Heidi's anymore. And I was like, oh, and so it's hard. People are like, I love Lady Gaga. I'm like, I'm sure she's great, but like, I have not had the best encounter with her. And, you know, she was like, I talked to her on the phone for a second. She's like, I just filmed with Lauren and uh, Whitney on the Hills. And I was like, who is this girl? What is happening? Like, she's a hater, clearly. And she's like saying, I was like, great. I'm a star of that show. Like, what are, are we, like, are we battling here? What is happening? So she did not want me working with Red One. And she told Red One that she wouldn't work with him anymore if I kept working with him. And he's like, I'm sorry. She's my writing partner for huge things. And so he, we even went out to dinner with him and, you know, several times and we were hanging out with him and she pulled the cord and was like, absolutely not. Wait, do, so do you feel like, because pe- most people might not realize that Lady Gaga was on the hills for like one second performing or something, I think early on. Um, do you think that, well, what, like Audrina and Lauren were like, oh, that Heidi, like, do, <laughs> do you think they said anything to her? I, I don't even think they had to say anything to her. I think she was a Hills fan and oh. obviously liked Lauren and was excited to film with her and enjoyed her experience with that. And she was so that would obviously make you a not Heidi fan. Yeah. And she is mad that I was in the studio with her producer before she came out. So I think she saw like, shoot, Red One is one of the biggest, best producers and writers. And if he takes Heidi, that's taking my magic. That's her, her mm. juice. He wrote Just Dance for her. He wrote almost every song with her and produced it. So of course, she's not going to want to share that when at that moment I was a potential rival for what she was yeah. doing so she's like i'm not letting heidi come in and take my songs which i get but like didn't have to be so rude yeah so shady well i mean fas- fashion was like a really really good song do you do you ever feel like with your music career i feel like it set the tone in a negative way because higher was the first song to come out because you've got a lot better songs than higher and you just sort of did the fun video on the beach and then that went that went like mega viral but you got a lot of hate for that and then it's almost like well if you maybe if you would just like come out with like superficial as the first song or something like it the trajectory may have been a bit different because it wouldn't have put like a negative image in people's mind like right off the bat it's hard to say. I think that people were so against me in so many levels that I'm not sure it would have mattered what song. Maybe, maybe it would have made a huge difference. I actually had an incredible song. So I had a deal with David Foster. He wanted to do, um, put me under his label. And then I had my lawyer, you know, it was like a 360 deal. And he's like, they're going to take part of your TV money and this and that. And I already had so many deals in the works and so much money. I was like, I'm not going to let somebody come in and take all that. Um, So I was like, well, let's just forget it. So I did find a different producer and did hire. But I had a song with David Foster and um, Cara de Guardia. And it was called Touch Me. And I co-wrote it with her. So she wrote most of it. But I wrote. A lot of it like touch me was my um name of my song so i was listening to all these britney songs and all these songs and i'm like well what a, what kind of song would i want it was very like britney touch me and um so that song was incredible and that was what i thought was going to be my first and then i had another incredible song um 
called When I Blush that Carrie Adeo Gordy, I think she wrote that whole thing and that was like insane. And so they, I wasn't able to have it. Um, but I think part of the reason that people were interested and fascinated was because of hire. So it's like maybe it got more eyes and more talking. And it's interesting at the time because like no press is better than negative press was such a thing. And now it's the exact opposite. So do you feel like, like I actually asked Spencer this when I had him on the other week, that even though the album didn't do as well, you know, on the charts, like you famously put a million dollars into it and everything. Way more. Do you, yeah, <laughs> you put over a million into it. Yeah. Do, do you kind of feel like even though it didn't do what you had originally planned because it has sort of become this, like, cult. Like, it's become, like, a bit of a cult classic, you know, online and stuff. Like, people still talk about it all the time. Like, people love it. People go back and listen to it, which, you know, there's not that many albums that have been out for over 10 years that people are still, like, you know, talking about and discovering and enjoying. So, in some ways, do you kind of feel like you, like it was worth it in a certain way because you have made something that's kind of lasting? I'm so torn on that. I have a really hard time decoding my feelings for this album because when I listen to it, it's really a photo album for me. Like I can go back to that moment in time and what we were dealing with and um, it's such a talisman. And so it's really special in that sense. I remember, you know, we're about to go to the VMAs or, you know, we were just filming this. So it, it, it resonates really special in my heart. And I've worked so hard for that. I mean, there were times where I was like crying in the, in the booth because a producer is like, you didn't do that right. And I'm like, I've been here for five hours and I just filmed a TV show. And I like, it just was a lot. I didn't have to put myself through that for not having like the payoff, but I guess that's really an artist's life because a lot of people don't have that payoff, but it was a lot of pressure, especially when you're paying for it and the stress of coming up with the money and negotiating. And so I'm like being my manager and negotiator and like, you know, there were a lot of intense people in that industry to deal with. And, um, it, it was a lot. So I am really thankful to have that music. And that was my goal. I, I had so many songs that I kept shelving and kept shelving because I thought I'm just going to put out something I'm so proud of and love myself and obsessed with. So I'm really thankful for this next generation and people coming back to it and finding it because it is kind of like a, hidden gem for a lot of people and like right now there's a tiktok video that's viral of all do it and they like sped it up and did a a version of it so it is really cool to have that and to have that accomplishment and i'm like that's a house <laughs> i could have yeah. had a house <laughs> But I'm sure um, we would have spent it on something else. Yeah. Um, I don't want to ask that much about The Hills because I feel like everything about The Hills has kind of like been said and, you know, it's done. But now that The New Beginnings has been cancelled, do you kind of feel like a relief? Like, is it a bit like, okay, I can move on now that I know that like this show isn't coming back, which obviously had a lot of like, I guess, like negativity for season two with everything behind the scenes that, you know, Spence has gone into and all of that? Yes, I said to Spencer, I wasn't sure if I was going to do another season if it came back regardless. I was like, this is so negative and not our lives. And now the producers are conspiring with us, with other people, and they're letting that be the narrative when that's not true. We have this whole cast that's trying to take us down for no reason when they all have all this drama amongst themselves and no one's, we're doing all the work again. I was like, this is ridiculous. And it's just so not who we are. Like, 
It's just not where I want to be in my life. It's not, I don't want to come home and talk about it. I don't want to keep having to deal with this. So it just was so unauthentic and having people conspire together to like fight with you and do this. I was like, this is just ridiculous at this point. And I get a few episodes because great, everyone needs drama, but to make it the whole season and the cast teaming up with the producers to do that, I was like, this is not real and it's not something I'm going to be a part of. So I am really relieved that um, that the whole thing is done. And it kind of just puts that whole section of my life away and like you said move on to the next chapter because it kind of ties you back into the Lauren stuff and Adrena stuff and it's this vortex that sucks you back in and kind of ties it all together and we always wanted the reboot and I was excited for that and then season one was really authentic and great and we had the best producer and um and then she got fired and I knew when she got fired that was the turning point of the whole show so um yeah I, I am relieved and thankful to move on where are you with Audrina now? Because it kind of seemed like you two, like maybe weren't like besties, but you were cool with each other. And then obviously we saw you fall out on season two on camera. Like, have you made up behind the scenes or are you just sort of like over it? <laughs> um, A little of both. I was pretty shocked when she was kind of coming for me. And I'm like, if you want to come for me, do it to my face. Like if you have a problem. So she was doing that with a few other cast members and like talking behind their back. And then I'd see her pretend to be best friends with them. And I'm like, if she's doing that to them, I bet she's doing that to me. And so when I saw things air, I was just pretty surprised. And then she was like, the producers are having me do this. And I said to her, I was like, you're a veteran. Producers are not making you do anything. This is your choice. And whatever you're saying, I'm holding you accountable, like as a person. So I was like, I'm not playing that game again. I'm not 20. I'm not going back there. And she's like, you're right. You're right. It's too much pressure. It's too much stress. And I was like, whatever, girlfriend. So I do. I did have a lot of fun for Adrena. And a part of me, you know, will always have such a soft spot in my heart for her. And if I saw her, I'd be friendly and I like her. Um, And at the same time, I was just kind of surprised and thrown off. So I I texted her. Uh we texted like a few weeks ago and I was like, hey, you know, things ended a little however. And she's like, what I had so much fun. And I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. Let's just move forward and be done with this. <laughs> it feels like yeah, it does feel like that second season, I guess, it probably had like more harm than good on your relationships because then obviously it made an issue with you and Audrina and like I know Brody and Spencer had their stuff and then they made up. So it just was like, it seems pretty negative overall. Yeah, it was just weird because it was all their choices. Like we had no problems with anyone. We weren't saying anything about anyone and they all just wanted to come for us. And they said, everyone said the producers were asking them to do that. And I said to everyone, that's your choice. Producers asked me to do a lot of stuff. I say, no, <laughs> that's your choice. Yeah. Let's not pretend we're all just got into reality TV and we're twice. Let's like, uh, uh-uh, that ship is so sailed. Like, well, because you and Spencer are reactionary too, so they know that like if they poke at you guys, you'll react. You know. Well, the problem is, and what the producers kept saying, they're like, we have no show. Like, no one's doing anything. No one's being interesting. No one's putting any drama out there. I'm sorry, but the only thing that would be interesting is people fighting with you guys. And I'm like, great, I get it for a few episodes, but like. We all have a problem if there's nothing interesting except Spencer and I uh, doing, and you know, like then we should just have our own show. Yeah. Um, okay, you've been all over the media lately with your meat diet. Were you surprised how much coverage those Beverly Hills photos got? That was insane. I mean, here in Australia, I'm telling you, every 
every news outlet. Like it wasn't just in America. <laughs> like the all like yeah. the main news sites was like reality stars, like bizarre diet. And I feel like people probably think the the meat thing is a fake publicity stunt. But like you were on the carnivore the carnivore doctors podcast like back in January. Asking, right. I heard that asking all these questions about like the carnivore diet and stuff. Are you surprised by like the reaction? I I am surprised. I mean, I thought it would go some places, but I didn't think it would be so viral. And it's so surprising for people because they're so, you know, it's okay to be a vegan and certain other diets, but for some reason, it just like hits a nerve with people. And obviously, um, you know, I'm not usually walking down the street with a beef heart. I just, I had it and I, I was eating it. And I do try to eat raw organs a few times a month. And for me, it has drastically changed like my brain and my energy. And I, I love it. So the, the liver at first is the, the feeling I love at first, the liver was like a little intense, but I was like, if I'm doing this, I'm filming it. Cause I'm really doing this and I'm going to film this at first. Like I thought I was going to throw up and I was a little nervous about it. And then the second time I was like, okay, it's better. And, you know, cause you don't need a lot of it. Um, and I have desiccated organs. So I have dry freeze organs that I take the pill form, the heart and soil every day. So I take those, um, as well. And yeah, it's, it's been an interesting, you know. So you reaction. feel, you feel better. Like you feel like it's actually like improving your health and everything. Yeah. I feel drastically better. Like my brain is clearer. I sleep better. My libido is better. My menstrual cycle has changed for the better. Um, so there's a lot of effects that I have witnessed. And at first I was really hesitant about this. And when I was learning about it, and that's why I was like, okay, I'm going to go on this podcast and I have a lot of questions and I was doing it, but I was also really nervous. And when you hear all the things about oxalates and about vegetables and how they react with certain people, and it's like tiny shards of glass that go into your blood. And, you know, it makes sense when you think that you can't just go out in the woods and eat a bunch of plants. And a lot of them are poisonous and toxic and that plants don't want to be eaten. Um, you know, so they do have a lot of chemical reactions. So, it made a lot of sense to me. And even still, sometimes I'm like, am I really not going to eat a lot of vegetables? And But when I listen to him and, um, you know, I've also just been really interested in uh, the beginning of time, just diets, different diets. I've tried a lot of different diets. I've done a lot of different things. And throughout the history of human culture and just through humans from the beginning, um, you know, meat was like the most important thing and we didn't have like a lot of food and there are a lot of cultures in the world it has he says like nose to tail the liver is the most sacred part of the animal and the brains and certain things so still to this day it's a very sacred meat and eating it i feel i feel that <laughs> well the the uh the doctor though in the the carnivore md when you were on the podcast though he was really extreme because it was like it was like no vegetables, no sunscreen, um, no plants, no caffeine, no alcohol, no sugar. Like it was literally like nothing because you were like, oh, so can I do this? And he's like, mm, no. <laughs> like it was like, so full on. I'm like, I can do some of this. But at the same time, at the end of the day, I'm going to take whatever is useful for me and then modify it. You know, I, yeah. I don't want to ever be too extreme. And I've done that in my past with certain things. So I'm trying to have a good balance of it and also like what I feel. And I like what Dr. Paul said that not everyone 
has the same reaction to certain things. Like some people are okay with certain vegetables, some people are not. So if people are having any type of fertility issues or any issues, it's better to simplify your diet. And and really what I got of a lot of that is I don't really eat any processed foods. Um, I rarely eat sugar, trying to modify alcohol. But it's like sometimes a mom needs a glass of wine at the end of the day and a cup of coffee in the morning. So I'm telling you what, if that's against the diet, then I'm not going to be able to fully do this. You've got to have like a vice like I try to give up things every now and then like I don't drink much alcohol at all like I never really have but like I will not give up coffee like there's just no like it just makes me too happy so you've got to keep certain things totally and like he said one coffee a day is not going to harm anything and I was sometimes having like four coffees a day because Gunner (laughs) still doesn't sleep well I'm like okay I'll just try to cut down to one but yeah me too I love tea I love coffee so there are some things that are Mm non-negotiable You are. You had a tweet recently that kind of went viral. By the way, I fucking love your Twitter account, especially when you do <laughs> when you do these like cryptic, like the cryptic <laughs> tweets. Like it's like, oh my god, you could make a coffee table book with those tweets. Like, and you say you say so much with so little. Like <laughs> you're like so wise. I don't know where it comes from, but thank uh, you. Love your Twitter account, but you had a tweet that went viral about how you would love to join the Housewives of OC, and I think you should be on the housewives of oc and uh look the fact is andy cohen has been a bit of a hater over the years um what like what's the situation like he doesn't seem to like you you would obviously be great on the show like i've literally never met him i've never met him that's why it's so frustrating when you just have these haters sometimes i'm like i don't know if you're a hills fan or if you like lauren but like you should get over that like i would be great on beverly hills or Orange County. I mean, I'd rather stay at Beverly Hills, obviously. Um, but I I agree. And so I talked to one of the executive producers of The Hills who does those shows, both of those shows. And he's like, I don't know. It's not up to me. And yeah, he doesn't, uh, you know. I feel like you've got to it. get, I did say this to Spencer, like you've got to try and get Andy for lunch or something. Because I feel like Andy probably... I know he's a reality TV fan and he probably literally just still thinks of you from the hills, like that old image from the hills and he's never gone past that. So he's remembering kind of like the the most ridiculous parts of you and Spencer out in the media and stuff and he doesn't see you now as like, you know, a mom and like, you know, just because you've got a whole different life now. And you actually, like I'm a big Housewives fan, I watch all of them. You're kind of exactly what they look for. Like, you've got a nice house, you've got a husband, you've got a baby, you've got stuff going on in your personal life. You love to drink and turn up and party and have fun. Uh, You know how to confront someone on camera. Like, you literally, you have everything there. And I feel like he just needs to see it. I agree. I, I think that I would be such a great housewife. I am just what they cast. And I watch them all too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you could put me in any of these housewife. Put, throw me in Jersey. I'd be great in Jersey. Like, So I agree. And I think that he obviously was a Hills fan. I don't know if he met Lauren one day and made a pack with her or who knows. <laughs> but yeah, it's so weird because I would think he would just appreciate good TV and people who are good at that. And he isn't so... We must uh, have a not mutual friend. Yeah, I think you've a got mutual to, I don't know. hater. <laughs> I think you've just got to like meet him in person or something. So I guess he's has he never invited you guys to like watch what happens live or anything. I don't remember. I don't think so. 
But it was a whole E thing for a while. Remember when like they tried to get us banned for a while and then they brought it back, but it was just because they were launching the Kardashians and they didn't want us having more media coverage than the Kardashians at the time. It was such a arrival too i mean i mean i don't know if that's just why but that's my personal opinion of oh what, i had one a, of those I reasons had a, i had a kardashian question um so okay you said in another interview that i think it was courtney called up but did you call up your sister holly and ask yeah. her about tips for so mm-hmm. do you wait do, so do you think that that courtney and scott a lot of their fighting throughout keeping up with the kardashians was just storyline i'm not sure because they're not together and one thing I really did like about the Kardashians is I th- like their paparazzi stuff is what they were asking about too. So like my sister did hang out with the Kardashians a lot then, uh, or not a lot, but like she was around them because they had mutual friends and she was friends with Joe Francis and they like lived at his house, you know, in Mexico all the time and stuff. Um, so it was more about paparazzi antics and some stuff about the show, but they seem to be really real on TV. Like Kim's crying and they're punching each other and fighting. And I think that's one of the reasons that they're so successful is they really just put it all out there and they won't let each other smooth it over. Like I'm so surprised they even all talk to each other and I'm really happy that they do. Um, but it was really intense. And I think that with Courtney and Scott, like at first I thought a lot of it was fake, but they aren't together. And it does seem like they had a lot of hard things that they were going through. Yeah. I don't know. Do you still feel um, sort of like kind of back to the Andy point, but do you still feel judged from your time on the hills? Because it's like your life has changed. Like you're totally different from when you're on the hills. And does it? do you still feel like you go out and people still see, you know, that old image of you from like 15 years ago? Yes and no. Like I was at Nobu on Friday and I had this group of 20-year-olds who were like, we love your TikTok. And they so I was like this famous TikToker. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And they had like no idea about the hill. So that's the great thing about social media. It's really allowed me to be myself and to put that out there on so many different platforms and show different sides of myself. And you know, they're all a little bit different. Like uh, Snapchat is different from Instagram is different from TikTok is different from Twitter. So I put exclusives on all those different things in different platforms. And sometimes people are just like, I was so team LC until I met you. But like, I've never had a person who left still just team yeah. LC. And you know, and I, I'm not promoting either way. Cause I'm like, great, you know, it's all good. But I do have a lot of people who just have that ingrained in their mind and that it was such a moment in time and cultural phenomenon that they did a really good job of making the simplest things like Spencer just did that whole TikTok of divulging back in and telling secrets and people are like oh my gosh now I feel different it's like you're still holding on to that from like so but yeah <laughs> you you made a comment that I saw recently which is like really interesting about how because you would obviously you got fame one of the things you were really famous for was the plastic surgery that you got in the one day and it's like because of that people still feel like they can talk shit about your appearance and your body and your plastic surgery but like the culture we're in now if you say that about anyone else like you'll be cancelled because it's like body shaming and it's like you know not empowering but then because you because you've done the plastic surgery thing people kind of think that like it's okay to talk shit about you I had Kelty Knight over here from uh, Entertainment Tonight, and she was like, I've never seen someone be treated so horribly by the media, by people. She's like, I don't know why people think they can talk to you the way they do. 
And it's been this weird thing. And it started with the whole Hills thing and with Lauren and her being able to say that. So people like thought that they could talk to me in a certain way and that the media always kind of had this negative edge towards us. So people thought that was okay. But it is shocking that people think they can still say such horrible, weird things about, yeah, my body or me or what. I'm like, how? I've never left a comment on somebody's Instagram I don't know, first of all, just because I'm busy. But um, also something negative to like take time out of your day to do that is I just feel bad for those people. I'm like, you know what? That's your problem, not my problem because I don't even know you. I haven't done anything to you. And especially with all the Kardashians, with everybody being so forthright about plastic surgery. Bella Hadid just came out and said that she got plastic surgery at 14, right? Or Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And people like, are like lifting her up or, you know, and saying positive things. I'm like, okay. And, but <laughs> I, you know, was so honest and vulnerable and put myself out there in a really hard journey that I went through. And it's just shocking. Yeah, that is really interesting because her whole thing is like how she felt all this pressure from the industry and like beauty standards and stuff. So she got this nose job at 14, which is kind of crazy. And I think she's had other surgery and people like, oh my God, you know, it's her most emotional interview and stuff. And then when you kind of came out doing your story about it and feeling like pressure and you were like, well, I got bullied and people said, you know, this about my appearance on blogs and left nasty comments. I felt pressure. It was like you got hated on. But I guess like the society's changed a lot too because like really that Perez Hilton era like that when you came out was really the height of like being like you know hating and like blogs and negativity I mean I had a fucking blog and I was pretty like (laughs) pretty shady on that so and now it's just like so different the reaction yeah it is and like you're saying now people are more sensitive towards her but they're still not sensitive about mine so it is just a weird it it is just surprising well it's the andy cohen thing of like you still got the old in your head because because it happened at that time you still associate it with that whereas if it happened now the perception would kind of be different yeah i think they say that being hated or like hate in someone's heart is the hardest thing to overcome yeah um the whole thing with bella you know it's that was really interesting to me because people a lot of people are talking about like Yolanda her mom and like well did her mom pressure her to do it because if I think everyone remembers on like Beverly Hills when Yolanda was pushing like Gigi into the modeling was like don't eat that you're going to put on weight like you've got to look a certain way and my unpopular take is I don't think that it's good that Yolanda pushed them into that because obviously it's left them with like a bunch of issues like clearly but it's also like the fact is they wouldn't have become like the two biggest supermodels of like their generation without that. So it's like, it's a little bit like a deal with the devil. You know what I mean? It's a hard situation because it is true. And, you know, she was a model herself and knew what it took. And I think that she knew her girls wanted that and tried to help them. So I think she tried to help them, obviously, and I tr- we tried to do a reality show about Gigi and her friends called Malibu High back in the day. And we had Gigi on it and she was going to do it. And I think there was a freshman. Um, yeah, she was a freshman. And I mean, that photo is out there on the internet. And ultimately, I think Yolanda didn't really want them on reality TV. And there were huge superstar kids on there. They all were such stars. And then it was so funny and shocking to me when she went on The Housewives. I was like, what? And she's letting Gigi go on the housewives. And we met her through David Foster. And, you know, David Foster from a really young age said that uh, Gigi 
would be the biggest superstar in the world. So from a young age, I think they saw her star power, but you know, she just, she was young. And so she did, she looked young and that was yeah. just, I have four dogs. So <laughs> you dogs, can hear my not chunk- all barking. Wait, chunky, come oh. here. Let me get Chunky up. Chunky, come here. He heard the door. Get on here. Um, yeah, you're, well, Chunky, shut up. Um, <laughs> you're, <laughs> in my house. I'm like, Angel, Constantly. Well, your whole, like, even when you did your plastic surgery, obviously, you know, you almost died and everything, but like, oh my God, Chunky, shut up. Come here. Wait. Stop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, yeah, I mean, look, you obviously almost died and everything with your surgery. And that was like a deal with the devil too. Cause it's, I mean, you kind of got the most publicity ever. Cause it like, it was, your fame was a bit like you were in, like you were super, super famous and tabloid famous and stuff with the Hills. But like once the, like the surgery went truly global, like that was like the, probably the biggest story of that year and it's like and then i mean you got in the movie with jennifer aniston after it and you probably could have like if you hadn't gone off to santa barbara you probably could have kept working off the back of that and do you sort of do you feel like do you i mean it's i don't know like i said i feel like it's a deal with the devil like you get these things in exchange but you had to like risk so much and then you obviously had all this trauma and stuff from it as well yeah i think it's the opposite i think it was not a deal with the devil i think it was the worst decision ever because that was the beginning of the end for us I think of our careers of everything I think that even though there was a lot of publicity around it it was such bad publicity my QVC deal got pulled um, I had a oh. huge deal with them that I was supposed to do that was a dry shampoo multi-million dollar deal um, you know that was the end of my relationship with my family for a while once I went there and I filmed that that was just the straw on the camel's back that really broke a lot of things for us and that was really hard and thank god spencer really stood by me and we just kind of pulled together at that time and he just took care of me and it took our focus from fame and success and money when we were in the height we had a book deal that we were supposed to be promoting that he had to go to by himself we had a lot of things that i didn't know because when i talked to the plastic surgeon he was like oh you'll be healed in like a month it took me almost a year to recover I needed to be out and about. My album just came out. I was supposed to be on like a gay club tour. Um, You know, I had a lot of huge things that it just stole all of our momentum. And it was just really challenging. And if I had known what it was going to be to recover, I would never have done it. I didn't have the time to do that. I barely had a month down to do that. And so to have to be basically in hiding for like two, three months and not be able to continue as a functioning person after that for a long time, that was that was really hard. When you look back at the interviews that you did kind of right after it, like I think there was Nightline and Ryan Seacrest, you seem like you seem like a different person because you're so like normally like bubbly and everything and you kind of uh, like was that just like we just medicated out on painkillers were you in like shock because it's you're a little bit like like you're sort of like vacant in those interviews yeah I just can't talk that was the problem and what no one understood like my jaw just got shaved off part of my jaw so I and I had this head thing on with my ears pinned back for three months I barely could chew I barely could eat so it wasn't even that yeah my energy was different but I literally couldn't talk I was in so much pain and everything was so hard and like 
to talk, I would almost cry. I, I would cry for a long time. Like I barely talk with Spencer. I'd write things down on paper for him so he could like talk to me. So it just was so painful to talk and to react that I just was like trying to be as calm and neutral. And obviously I had a lot of, um, stuff in my face and it's fully frozen and stitched up. And so that doesn't help at that time. Um, and I stopped taking painkillers because they weren't working. I was in so much pain. I was crying every night and that's why I really got into crystals because I was holding them. So I also was like on this extra spiritual journey because I was in so much pain and almost just died. I was like, none of this matters anymore. Like these interviews really don't matter. Nothing matters. Like I just need to survive. I just need to like get through each moment. I'm in so much freaking pain. And was that how you were, I guess, you because you filmed the last season you don't, did on the hills was after the surgery, wasn't it? When you yeah. sort of came, yeah. So I guess, was that the state you were in during that season too? Yeah, and Spencer knew that too. So he was just super protective of me because he's like, she's not even a person right now. Like I barely could get out of the car. I could barely walk. I could barely talk. So I wasn't able to stand there and stand up for myself or to have the energy to do it. I was in so much pain and that's why it made me so upset when I went home. I was like, I can't even fight with you. Like I already told you I'm so fragile. I can barely talk. I can barely move. It's a big deal for me to even get out of the house. I've been in the house locked up for three months and I asked you not, you know, so it was just, it was just really hard to be in such a vulnerable place physically and mentally and everything that I just wasn't able to really be there. And all I can think is I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask, I have some like random questions that I've always kind of wanted to know about you just from being a fan for all these years. Some of them are spicy, but these are just like stories that I saw in the media and stuff. And like, I've always just wanted to know what went down. So first one is what were you and Spencer doing in Santa Barbara when you left, like when you left Hollywood, like what was a typical day like for you? Cause uh, you would emerge every now and then and go and do like big brother or something. But mm-hmm. what was your daily life like there? Well, for the first two years, it was basically sun tanning and margaritas. So that was basically, and then I was like, we, we got to like get our lives together. This isn't a real life. Like we need to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And so I, uh, I started working out every day and that was really important to me and dog walks. And I just really became the ultimate housewife. I think, uh, you know, I was cooking a lot for us and cleaning a lot and Spencer only uses one towel each time. So he has so much freaking laundry because of his allergies. And so I was cleaning a lot and cooking a lot and being a housewife. And then in between that, we would come down and do jobs, but it was just a really mellow, really calm life. I'd watch the housewives every night or, or whatever, but it was, it was a really fun time, but we're like, we're not retired yet. Like we need to get it together. (laughs) You're living like retirees. (laughs) Did did, Did you end up doing like any therapy or anything like for kind of, you know, like the trauma? Cause obviously you had stuff going on with your family. You had the plastic surgery, which was insane. Like, did you do any therapy or did you do more? Like, did you become like more spiritual going to church more? Like, did you deal with any of that stuff in that way? Yeah, so I've always been really spiritual and I grew up in church and that's always been a really important aspect of my life. And I definitely dug in deep on that. And, you know, we were going to church up there and um, I just did a lot of like journaling and I actually wrote a book during the time of like my memoir uh, that I can't find that I've been looking for. (laughs) That was very long and lengthy. 
And I just did a lot of praying and a lot of crying and a lot of uh, healing of myself at that time and prioritizing that. And I was like, I just want to be who I was, but a better version before Hollywood and before the hills and before everything happened. Like, I just want to be normal for a long time. And so it was just so nice to have Spencer and I without that world. And we had that as our foundation. That was the foundation of our relationship. That was one of our strengths was working in that. So to have that taken away, it's like, okay, well, where are we at now? And who are we in this life together? And it was really great to be able to transition in such a powerful way. And we've had such a strong relationship that it was just so natural and easy. And it was actually such a relief for both of us to just have that stress or stress and that pressure off because we are so protective of each other. It just gave us a time to kind of relax and it made our lives so easy. We're like, oh my gosh, we have the easiest, best relationship ever now. Like before, you know, we had, we've always had such a strength together, but it's a lot when you're having to deal with so much. So we both just needed time to breathe. Okay, another one I've always wanted to know, were you and Jen Bunny supposed to do a show after The Hills ended together and then you turned it down, or was that just a fake story? I don't remember that. I think that's a fake story. Uh-huh. Um, there, I remember there were stories at the time of saying, like, uh, Heidi and Jen Bunny are going to do a, do a show together about, like, they're living together in Hollywood and it's, like, Heidi's life after The Hills and they're going to be, like, roommates and it's going to be fun and then... They said you, it was you, it was when you were starting to like kind of not be in the spotlight as much. So I was always like, "Oh, is this going to happen or not?" Yeah, I think that was like a fake public. Pitch. Oh. Now I'm vaguely remembering, but uh, Jen Bunny is still one of my favorite people. She's one of my really good friends, and I love her. I wish I lived in the hills with her. That would have been fun. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, I forgot all about that. Okay, were you going to film a reality show with the Shannon twins from Playboy's The Girls Next Door? And also, did you film a sex tape with the Shannon twins, or was that just something that you and Spencer made up for <laughs> press It was time? all made up. <laughs> yeah, it was so. just all made up. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, how much were you paid for the first Playboy shoot? I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Um it was definitely high six figures. Was there, did you get like, was there a pay cut? Because you didn't actually go like naked in, but it was more of like a glamour. It was more of like a glamour shoot. So was it's it- so funny because Kim, as you saw before, just did Playboy before me and she got there. She didn't want to be naked and then she got there and they changed the whole thing. But I had Matthew Ralston do it and he was like, don't worry, I'll make sure you don't get naked. But I think they thought it was so big. They allowed me to not be naked. I mean, they tried to push it as much as they could. And I virtually am naked on the side, but they offered me a second cover to get fully naked for twice the amount. And I said, no. I remember reading about that. That was after your surgery, wasn't it? Like, we're going to give you all this money. Like, yeah. And I just, I, I just, I went back and forth. I said, yes. And then I said, no. And I was like, I don't know if I have a son one day or kids, I don't want like photos of me naked all over. And but, and then I was like, I don't know, what if I never have kids and I should put it out there? And that is so much money. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely a debate. It was I, a think hard Playboy's, I think Playboy's tasteful. So it's not, you know, like yeah, I mean, they have really I beautiful photo Playboy. shoots. Yeah, I love I, all I of totally that. I totally do. 
I literally actually just last night, it's funny, I went on eBay and I ordered a bunch of like vintage Playboy magazines because I want to have them as like decor in my new house. So <laughs> I love Playboy. Yeah. Spencer's dad used to um, have like a stack of all the classics, like minted, you know, like not even his, but oh. collector's item. And Spencer, when he was younger, went through, tore off all the covers and hid it in the backyard. His dad's like, that was like a inheritance. That was like a collection because it'd be worth That's- so much money. They would be worth so much now. Yeah. Um, who's the worst celebrity you've ever worked across all the reality shows? I mean, you've done like Famous Food on VH1, oh my Swap, Mother Daughter Experiment. Oh my gosh. One of the hardest people to work with was definitely Kim. Um, <laughs> I think she just was really Kim Richards. Hard. Yeah. And she was in her room the whole time. And then like I knocked on her door, be like, hey, are you coming out? And she's like, where are the producers? Who told you to come in my room? And I'm like, Lady, <laughs> like it was hard. I think she was going through a lot and I didn't realize like how much she was going through herself, but um that was and then well, she, she like, got, got into Natalie, Natalie Nunn's face. I know, and she's like screaming in her face and like I think she put her hands on her and I was like, Oh my Well, so I think she's the she only girl, I think she's the only one that's ever been able to like match Natalie Nunn, because usually no one can go against Natalie Nunn. I feel like Kim kind of like gave I, her I think on a different money. show, Kim would have been knocked out. I think she was so out of her realm. It's like you have people protecting you here and you know Natalie's smart and she doesn't want anything legal here. But if you were on the streets or a different show or you talk to anyone else that way, that is not a smart at all. So maybe she just knew. But I was like, uh, you are playing with fire. <laughs> did did that show help did that show help your relationship with your mom mother-daughter experiment uh kind of kind of not my mom's like why did you drag me on here (laughs) i was like i know it's work but not and she appreciated the check but i think it was like not the best (laughs) (laughs) um what about do you have any memories from famous food just for people don't know this was an iconic show oh my back in the day a little known one where a bunch of reality stars had to open a restaurant and it had ashley dupree who was elliot spitzer's call girl it had danielle staub it had someone from the sopranos uh, I had three six mafia. I mean, this cast was insane. It was Danielle Staub. She was great at first, but then like I wouldn't be allies with her like she wanted. And I loved Ashley Dupree. I mean, we were the same age. She's so smart. She's so cute. so. I was hanging out with her, and then like Danielle did not. So she went on. She teamed up with three six mafia, and it became like different teams. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then um, Juicy J like went off the rails. Him and or was it Paul? Paul went off and he like threw stuff and got like ended up leaving the show or got kicked off. And that was scary when one of I I forget how it all went down, but it was like so intense and things were flying and like police were coming. And I was like, OK, I'm just on a reality show here about a restaurant. I didn't, you know, it's getting a little intense. Um, all right, we'll wrap up because I know you've got to put Gunner to bed. Just yeah. uh, quickly, what are your plans for the rest of the year? Are you still working on like baby number two? Um, baby number two, I'm becoming less emotionally attached to the idea. So I don't know. It's been about a year and a half we've been trying with Gunner. I got pregnant the first month and obviously that's meant to be. I just think the world has been really hard and a lot of stress with this pandemic and with things going on and now with Ukraine and it's just it's really stressful it's a really stressful time for everyone and I just I'm just praying about whatever is meant to be I'm really thankful for Gunner and he's healthy and you know we have such a great trio Spencer Gunner and I and it also you know just having the one kid and 
allows me to be able to work and do more stuff. So, you know, each month I would be so disappointed and like, oh, I'm not pregnant this month. And now I don't really, I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, you're just so, leaving it up to, yeah, leaving it up to God. I am. So I'm just letting go of that at this moment. And, um, you know, so that, but we have a lot coming out career-wise this year. So I think that it's going to be a really big year for Spidey. We have a lot of things in the work. Spencer has a lot of things he's uh, producing and working on, and we have a lot of things that we're working on. I'm in Pratt Daddy. Make sure you go to prattdaddycrystals.com. And, uh, you know, I'm up there doing a live sale every Friday. So that I do that about 12. I go in to check on the ladies and everybody up there during the week. Spencer goes up there. So having Pratt Daddy Crystals is a full-time job. It's a lot of work. It takes, it's a lot of different moving parts. You know, I try to be a full-time mom with Gunner as much as I can. I'm very hands-on with him uh, running around. So him and I are like going everywhere together. I'm like, okay, now we're going to the office and now we're going here. And I'm trying to have, work out. I want to get really have fit. You, have you, because you were doing the attachment parenting at the start. I remember just like watching you sort of like wouldn't leave Gunner alone at all. Like, are you more relaxed with that now? Oh yeah. I'm like, Abby's coming. We're going to Nobu, you know? So I go by myself to Colorado like twice a year, three times a year now. And I just go for like two nights. So I haven't left him more than two nights. Um, but I also want to be able to have him be with people he loves and trusts in case we do get a big opportunity that I can't say no to for a whatever show. Um, but yeah, I had a really hard time in the beginning, I think, especially, um, hormonally, you know, that attachment is just so strong. So just little by little being able to leave and I make sure Spencer and I do date night once a week and we get Abby to come and watch Gunner. And, um, so thank you so much. I know you've got to get Gunner to bed. Uh, this was a dream come true, obviously like your EP. Um, it's been a long time in the making. So just, yeah, I had so much fun and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for being such a, a fan and a teammate and a Twitter friend. I feel like we've been friends for so long. I, yeah. you know, I know and I read a lot of your tweets and your world. So I do appreciate that endless support and love and especially for my music because that means the world to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this <laughs> platform and your time. And hopefully we'll do this again soon. Don't think I forgot I'm at-